0: from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 to 21. From Exodus, we read, You shall not steal. And then Jesus added these words, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. This morning we come to the Eighth Commandment, You Shall Not Steal, in our series of sermons on the Ten Commandments. I suspect that we have no trouble with this commandment as long as we keep it in some very general terms. Almost all of us know how painful it can be to be robbed. Thieves take more than our possessions. We feel like they've taken a part of us. Let us pray. Lord, with the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts, be acceptable now in your sight, O oh Lord our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. A number of years ago I had the opportunity to be in the country of Haiti. We were visiting an orphanage, and I was we were in the probably the poorest neighborhood on earth. It was staggering, it was stunning, and we were inside the confines of an orphanage for most of our time, but On Saturday there was a market and they wanted to take us to show us. I say the word market; it it hardly resembled anything that we would understand as market. It was simply all dirt and mud, and people would bring things out, and everybody who lived there would come. and And they told us before we were going to this market, they said, "Please, no, do not bring anything. Remove any valuables, anything in your pockets. Don't bring anything." And I thought that was a little bit overkill, but they said, "No." They urged us and said, do not have anything in your pockets. And so I understood that. And I left everything. And we went to this market, and it was crowded, and we were on a bridge. And I will never to this day forget the sensation, the feeling of having a hand go all the way down into the, on my pocket and turning around, and they were gone. That happened twice. Twice. To this day, I'll never forget. Whenever I'm in crowds, that sensation comes back. It's, it's, it's a jarring experience to have a hand go down your, into your pocket and then suddenly be removed. A few years ago, we lived across the street in McCormick Ranch. We had a wall around our backyard. And um, one day when I was here at work, middle of the day, Julie got... Um, For some reason, she was taking our dogs somewhere, so she took our dogs to for a walk. But they got them in the car, and they pulled out of the driveway and went off their way. And almost at that moment, somebody jumped over our wall into our backyard, into our house, found an open door, and began taking things out of our house. To this day, now we were never that militant about locking all of our doors. We lived in McCormick Ranch. And now, every night, every night, Julie makes sure to make a round and make sure every door is locked in our house. and I think about whoever stole from us, did he understand the impact it would have every night now, our ritual has changed. Thieves do a lot of damage, and so we welcome the chance to condemn burglars, shoplifters, tax evaders, cheats but. Like all of these commandments, this one is meant to search us, each one of us. It's a commandment for us, and this one, like all of them, should speak directly to each of our individual hearts. When we look through the lens of all of Scripture, we see that stealing is far more subtle and far more common than we might realize. Now, I want to mention three ways that we steal this morning. The first is, certainly we do steal from the neighbor. When theft occurs, it hurts everybody. It's a product of our fallen humanity. One estimate claims that shoplifting alone, just shoplifting in our country, costs each of us around $400 annually. Hotel managers say that one out of every three guests steals something. Insurance people say that 30% of all businesses that fail, this is staggering, 30% of all businesses that fail are the direct result of internal theft. I have heard that the most stolen book, more than any other, have you heard this? The Bible. I think that might be actually a good thing. That might be the one instance where theft is okay. But this commandment is not just about what we do or what we take, but it also covers what we have left undone. The Bible claims that we steal from others when we neglect to take care of their needs. When we neglect the poor... We are, in fact, stealing from them. You shall not steal not only applies to the have-nots who take from the have, it also applies to affluent people who fail to use their resources on behalf of the needy. One of the great early church fathers, Basil, said this. He said, when someone steals a man's clothes, we call him a thief. Shouldn't we give the same name to one who could clothe the naked and does not? If you're like me, who have been wrestling with this all week, this really cuts real deep into our hearts where we live. There's a story of the mayor of Toledo who earned the name Golden Rule Jones. Every so often he would go down, he was the mayor, but every so often he would go down and preside at the police court. One winter day during the depression of the 1930s, the police brought a man charged with stealing groceries. The man pleaded um, guilty. He admitted that he had stolen groceries. He offered no excuse other than he was hungry and he couldn't find work. "'I've got to fine you,' said the mayor. You stole not from the community responsible for these conditions, but you stole from a particular man, so I fine you $10. But then the mayor reached into his pocket, pulled out a bill, and said, here, here is the money for you to pay your fine. And then he picked up his hat and handed it to the bailiff and said, now I'm going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents. For living in a town where a man has to steal groceries in order to eat. Bailiff, go through the courtroom, collect the fines, and then give them to the defendant. This commandment says we steal from others when we take, but also when we neglect. Now, this is not, however, purely economic. We steal from others when we do not give them what belongs to them. We rob from our children when we do not give them the attention and the time that they need. We rob from our spouse when we do not give them the affection and the emotional support that we promised to give them when we took a marriage vow. We steal from our employer when we do not give an honest day's work. We steal from our employees when we do not pay a fair wage. There are so many ways that we can steal, maybe even unknowingly, from our neighbor, from our family. And it's a huge problem. Martin Luther talked about the enormity of this problem. He said, if everyone who was guilty of theft was hanged from the gallows, we would run out of gallows, we would run out of hangmen to do it. He was that concerned about stealing. Certainly this commandment deals with how we can take from our neighbor, but it also deals with how we steal from ourselves. Another way we break this commandment is when we steal actually from the way we were designed to live. A person who gives all of his or her time to work is robbing his family or her family of something very precious, but they're also robbing from themselves because that is not the way God designed us to live. He designed us to live. We've already covered this in the Ten Commandments by work and then rest, work and then play, to break, to listen. And we rob ourselves of the humanity that God designed us to have. We're robbing ourselves of the joy, the pure pleasure of living of playing, of experiencing this created world that God gave, gave to us. Even if our motives are good, we can get in so much trouble with this. If I spend all of my time giving to the neighbor, if I'm just completely, completely consumed with service and giving to my neighbor, and I don't take any time for myself, I'm robbing myself from the way that God wants me to live and designed me to live. Or how about the person who is so tight with the dollar that he can never take his wife out on a vacation or out to dinner or family? You know, he's also robbing himself. We were meant to enjoy this life. Jesus talked about how we were meant to live and he was going to give us life abundantly. And there's going to come a day when no amount of money in the bank will be able to pay for the missed opportunities of yesterday. There's also... The person who spends above and beyond their income, who carries massive debt, credit cards at their limit, checking accounts overdrawn—that person is stealing from him or herself because they're ma- making no provision for the future. Again, our Lord wants us to live full lives where we, we work, and then we, we're with our families, and then we rest one day, and we play. We. Life was never meant to be a burdensome endeavor, but a joyful time of experiencing family and neighbor and God. And if we are not doing that, we may be robbing ourselves in the process. But maybe the biggest way we steal from ourselves, and maybe the most overlooked way, is through addiction. Substance abuse and addiction is... It's at an all-time high in our country right now. It's staggering. Alcohol abuse and addiction, all-time high. And it robs us of our humanity. It leaves us broke in more ways than just economically. It leaves us broke emotionally, uh, physically. It, it wrecks our spiritual lives Um, By giving our loyalties to a substance rather than our loyalties to God. And everyone is robbed when we are fighting addiction, including ourselves. And this includes a wide swath of addictions that are readily available gambling, work, stinginess, unwise spending, drug, alcohol abuse, all are ways that we steal from ourselves. And God commands us in this commandment. He says, says, you shall not steal. And then finally, we steal from God. The third way we break this commandment is to steal from God himself. Everything that you and I have belongs to God. It comes from God, but it also belongs to God. In Psalm 24, we read, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, and those who live in it. God looks at this world that He created, you and I, and He says, Mine. It's His. He owns it. It belongs to Him. All of it. All money, all persons, all created things. Every one of my possessions, every dollar in my bank account or portfolio, everything belongs to God. I simply have them on loan. That's all I have. I'm never an owner. I'm not an owner. I'm what the Bible calls a steward or a trustee, if you will. Someone who has the privilege of taking care of someone else's property or possessions, God's property. You know, biblical economics is something that we don't talk enough about. We don't talk enough about it in the church, I think. Biblical economics is, is, a, is a powerful, powerful thing, and it, it's a pointed statement about how we are to use and understand our possessions and our money. From a biblical perspective, we do not believe in capitalism. That might be a staggering thing to say or hear in our society. We seem to pride the fact that we are capitalists. But from a biblical standpoint, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we do not subscribe to capitalism. Capitalism says, you earned it, you keep it. Well, that goes against what the psalmist said and the rest of the Bible. Capitalism wants to stress over and over again, if you, if you earned it, it is yours. This is your, your account. This is your, yours, yours. By the way, if you're now a little bit worried, it's also biblically not, we don't believe in socialism either. <laughs> socialism says a country's wealth belongs to all and should be shared. Not true. Not true. We don't buy it. We have a different economic system that we subscribe to in the Church of Jesus Christ. We say it belongs to Him, all of it, and He is so gracious and so good and so wonderful that He says, here, I'm giving to you. I trust you. Use this wisely. Do good things. Do some of them extravagantly. It's amazing in the New Testament how there are these occasions where people give extravagantly remember the occasion when the woman poured the perfume over Jesus' head and the disciples were saying, be stingy, that's, that's too extravagant, don't do that. And Jesus said, no, she did a beautiful thing. It was giving, it was wonderful. She's giving what God had already given to her. It's okay to give extravagantly at times, creatively, wonderfully. Biblical economics is neither capitalism nor socialism. It all belongs to God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above says the book of James and when you and I hoard our possessions the ones that God gave to us and we keep saying mine 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 we twist the designs for how God wants us to live and if we do that many others suffer in fact if we do that we are actually stealing from God and as we've seen in these Ten Commandments It's so piercing to each of our hearts, and it's pretty easy to see how very far we all fall short. It's also tempting to only hear these commandments. We've mentioned this in the series in a negative light. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Um, But there is a positive side to each of these. And there's there's a positive side to you shall not steal, and that is this. Give generously, give extravagantly, give creatively. And Jesus said, the best place to give and invest is not, is, is not earthbound, but is eternal, where it's eternally secured, where everything is put safe forever. Jesus said, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, unfailing tre- um, but put it in an unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no thief will come and no one will be able to destroy, no moth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, in a way, he's quoting the Ten Commandments here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Remember the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me? If we have a God other than God that we worship and that we're loyal to, guess what's going to take its place? Jesus told us many, many, many times money. That'll be the God, he said. If it's not the God of of Jacob, Isaac, the God of Abraham, the great I am, money's going to come in and it'll be the thing that we worship, the thing that we treasure, and that's where our hearts will be. You've been watching the news this week, as I have. It's been a difficult week, to see what's transpiring in our world in Ukraine. I was so struck to read some words written by a pastor. His name is Vasil Ostry. And he is in Ukraine. And these words were written two days before the invasion. He said this, he said, How should the church respond when there is a growing threat of war, when there is constant fear in society. I'm convinced that that if the church is not relevant at a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. We believe the church is a place of spiritual struggle as tensions have risen. our, Our church announced a week of fasting and prayer gathering every night to bring our requests to God. For three days in a row, the lights were turned off in the city. We were forced to meet in the dark, adding a solemn atmosphere to our prayers for peace. He said, at the end of the week, those moments produced in us an inner strength to persevere. Through communal prayers, we've gained confidence, we've gained a peace. We believe God is with us, and that is the most important thing. During this critical moment, he said our church, which has about 1,000 people, um, is a thousand people, is a place also, not just of worship, but it's also a place of service. We've recently conducted several trainings teaching our members how to apply a tourniquet, stop bleeding, apply bandages, and manage airways. These lay lay people are never going to become doctors, but this has given them confidence to care for their neighbors when the time comes. In fact, he says, when I first announced the first aid training, one brother in the church told me, now I know why I need to stay in Ukraine. He had planned to leave. He knew he was not ever going to be a soldier. He wasn't able to take up arms and fight, but he now wants to stay because he has purpose to love and care for the neighbor. And then he wrote personally, this pastor who has young children. He said, we have decided to stay, both as a family and and as a church. When this is over, the citizens of Kiev will remember how Christians have responded in their time of need. And while the church may not fight like the nation, we still believe we have a role to play in the struggle. We're going to shelter the weak, serve the suffering, mend the broken. And as we do, we will offer the unshakable hope of Christ and his gospel. And this is the part that really grabbed and touched me. He said, My wife and I and our young children have decided to stay here. We want to serve the people of this church. In anticipation of the coming disaster, we have been saving some of our supplies of food, medicine, and fuel. When I was reading this, I was thinking of myself as a pastor in that situation. And when he said, we have decided to stay, even though he has the opportunity to leave, I, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure that's the best decision. I'm not sure, honestly, that's the decision I would make. And then when I read, well, but he is gathering some supplies, I thought, well, okay. At least you have some supplies, so that's good that you've stored those up. You're at least caring for your family that way. But listen to what he said. In anticipation of the coming disaster, we've bought a supply of food, medicine, and fuel so that, if necessary, we will be able to give it to those who have need and not be a burden. Friends, this is a remarkable witness to the kingdom of God. This is a pastor in a church who are not using the word mine. This is a pastor in a church who are saying it belongs to God. How can we share it? How can we give? How can we bandage? How can we serve? It's a remarkable witness to the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, there will never be talk about mine. Rather, the joyful conversation will always be, what can I give to my neighbor? Come, Lord Jesus. Bring that kingdom near. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the many, many blessings you've given to us. What a generous and giving God you are. Help us this week to return a portion to you joyfully with celebration because we know how deeply we've been loved and cared for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll sing together.